Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Liam Walk is a lifelong endurance athlete and coach from the Ottawa Gatineau region. Liam landed on ultra running in his late 20s, around the time he started to teach skiing. His first 50K trail race was a love at first suffering, and he's been learning and improving since then, nabbing some podiums and top fives and a fastest known time in the Peruvian Andes at distances from 50K to 110K throughout Europe and the Americas. He continues to coach cross-country skiing, and when he's not running or skiing, you can find him on some sort of bike. His unbridled joy for running and skiing is founded in a deep respect for the process of training properly and healthily. Please welcome to Let's Take This Outside. Here's Liam Walk. Liam Walk, I'm calling you out because you were 10 minutes late for this interview. And why were you late? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, First of all, uh, thanks for having me. I was skiing. Yesterday was raining all day and then it turned into snow and blizzarded all night. So... I went out for a ski in the morning and it went a little bit longer than expected. Where did you go? You're in Gatineau Park? Yeah, I actually took um, I took my Schemo. Have we talked about this? I took my Schemo skis. Please uh, explain what Schemo is. So Schemo is short for, I think it's short for ski mountaineering. I sound really snobby when I say this. It's big in Europe. It's actually like really big in the Alps. Lots of people do it. <laughs> uh, but here it's not so big, just mainly because there's like a lack of big mountains because it makes more sense to do it in bigger mountains. Basically, what it is is like a it's like a very light alpine ski that you put a skin on, uh, like a big uh, like a skin that goes the length of the ski, and then a heel that detaches and lighter downhill type boots, and then you can go up. You can actually go up the hill and essentially skip the lift, and then you can take your skin off, put your heel back in, and ski down. So that's been really fun. I just got into that this year. So okay, for normal normal people listening, isn't part of skiing? Isn't half the fun just taking the lift up and then just letting gravity take you down? Or I don't know. Is that half the fun? I've, I've actually like never <laughs> alpine skied in my life. <laughs> the reason I wanted to chat with you, a few reasons, including the fact that your entire relationship with exercise includes outdoor sports. So not only do you trail run, you ski, you bike outdoors, but you do very long distances as an endurance athlete. So how much do your surroundings matter when you're completing endurance efforts? Hmm. I mean, like to a certain extent, you train to be able to go to beautiful environments, nice environments where where you feel inspired. I'm just talking for myself, I think. And that does mean sometimes that I'm just going out and pounding the pavement and running on the road or r- running in places or training in places that aren't really all that pretty. So I think in a way it's like, you have this like a goal of being able to move smoothly in terrain that is beautiful and nice and inspiring, but it doesn't mean that every day it's not Instagram, you know, like it's not like every day looks amazing. Lots of days are just going out and doing the work. And there's enjoyment in that as well. There's enjoyment in just like going out and having a routine of training, but yeah, it's not always rainbows and unicorns. (laughs) Right. Or what you like earlier explained that there was like a rainstorm and then a snowstorm. And sure, that's, it's good today, but like conditions not necessarily will always be in your favor. Yeah, definitely not. And sometimes, yeah, you sit around and if you have the luxury to sit around and go, oh, when should I go? When should I go? <laughs> uh, which is what I did last night. 
I waited the rain out and then it started snowing. So then I went out, but you don't always have that luxury. So I know that you've raced in Peru. I was looking at some of your highlights from your racing career, but you've raced in Peru. You lived in Peru too, right? I did. Yeah. I lived there. Gosh, I've lost track. I mean, three times over twice for a job and once for just like kind of being a backpacking bum. And, and when it comes to racing, you mean like trail racing, right? Like explain what like trail racing is compa- or endurance trail racing is compared to, you know, just a normal marathon, just 50K around Ottawa. So, I mean, yeah, like it's such a broad, it's kind of funny. It's like, I don't know much about marathons, but it's a defined distance. It's a defined, like, there's never going to be more than a certain amount of elevation. It's always going to be on a road. Whereas trail racing, I mean, that can be anything from like a vertical kilometer where you're literally just going up a thousand meters over 4k or whatever, uh, all the way to can be a hundred miles or 200 miles in anything from like something resembling a road to, you know, scrambling over mountains. So it's, it it is like, it really runs the, the gamut from races that can really resemble road races all the way to things that are closer to mountaineering. You've also raced in France, of course, all over Canada. If you could choose like top three spots that you've ever raced before what would you what would you pick that I've ever raced or that I've ever run you can do run you can say run run explored I'll let I'll let you I'll let you off the hook on that one yeah I mean racing in Europe was really really amazing mainly because of like the the culture of mountain running there like here it's still very fringy it feels very fringy and then that's changing very quickly but there it's like a thousand people will show up to a race and a lot of them are really pretty good. And some of them are in their fifties, you know, and sixties. It's just something that like, it seems like it's more part of the culture. And I'm not, obviously not everyone does it, but it is, it is more like ubiquitous there. So like sort of experiencing the like mountain culture and like trail running culture there uh, when I raced was, was good. It was also like super humbling. It, not that I have like a huge ego or anything, but it is easy to get, you know, you train a lot and you go to races in Canada and you do pretty well. You finish in the top five or the top 10 or whatever. And you're like, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. And then you go to Europe (laughs) and like 50 year old passes you on a downhill and you finish in 50th place or whatever. So in that sense, it also sort of gives you some perspective on the sport and just like, and and what it means to like actually do this for the love of it. And rather, rather than like, I think a lot of people chase results, but I think, yeah, it's important to just sort of do it for because you like it and because it brings you joy rather than for some other outside uh yeah what's the word reason (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm really good in english yeah reason (laughs) so this is already a reoccurring theme in uh on this podcast is talking about people who are not much older but quite older than us double our age at some points who are these long-standing athletes who smoke everyone (laughs) along the way. And it's really popular here, but obviously you just mentioned it in Europe too. What is it about these athletes that we see in our community and obviously across the world who are these lifelong athletes? Do you have goals or are you hoping that that's what your life might look like when you're 50s and 60s and you're beating 30-year-olds and 25-year-olds up a mountain? Yeah, I mean, like, I guess there are two things. It's like, one is like, yeah, of course, in, in endurance sports, you you get better with eight. I mean, to a certain point, obviously, at some point, you, you start there's, you start going downwards. But for a long time, you can improve 
because you just build a stronger endurance base, especially for like the really long distance. I mean, uh, like a marathoner is going to probably peak around like 32 or 33 or something years old. Don't take my word for that, but it's something like that. Whereas because it is like still a relatively shorter, all things considered distance. But if you're talking about like being out there for 16 hours or 20 hours or 30 hours, there are people performing at like the, the highest, highest elite level that are in their mid forties. The forties is the new thirties. Um, so there's that. I mean, there's like, there's building that like huge aerobic base that just comes with like year after year of putting in, you know, 500, 600, 700, 800 hours of training a year. And then there's the experience piece, which is like, you get to know yourself better and you get to know what your abilities are better. I mean, for me, I, yeah, I look at, I look at those people. I don't care if I'm beating 30 year olds. Uh, Certainly I will be. And certainly there will be lots of younger people beating me as well. It's not really, it's I don't really see it that way. I just see it like physically as you decline, uh, your experience can, is still growing. And if this is something that you want to be a part of your life, I mean, this is like a large part of my life. And I'm, I'm conscious of that as well, because it's not necessarily healthy to, for it to be the only part of my life. But it's a large part of my life and I would like it to stay that way. And that's why I, I take it seriously in the sense of like, I try not to attach my ego and my like sense of self-worth to this because I mean, I could go out and get hit by a car and never be able to do this again. And then who am I? Mm-hmm. But that said, it's if, if it's going to be a part of your life and you want it to be a part of your life, hopefully it will be that way until I can't do it anymore. I think it was two years ago. I remember you were, you were gearing up to run a 100K in Gatineau Park. Was, was it 100 kilometers? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> I was going to run like it's the, the core, there's a race uh, called the Midnight Moose and it's obviously run at night. So I was going to do it during the day. So it's not really comparable, but I was going to run the 100K course uh, by myself. It was because I was going to do Bromont Ultra and it was canceled. It was the first year of the pandemic. God, are we saying that the first year? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, it was the first year of the pandemic. <laughs> and yeah, I had trained for Bromont. I was like, I was feeling in really good shape. And I was like, well, and then they canceled. And I was like, well, what am I going to do with my fitness? And then, so yeah, I, I decided to run this 100K. Uh, well, some people would have given up, but you were like, no, I'm still going to use my fitness for this. And I, I'm afraid to call it a, a nightmare scenario, but something happened to you during that race that I'm so glad that you've recovered from. But I think any long distance runner is terrified of this happening. What, uh, what happened to you? <laughs> suspense so I'm going to make it even more suspenseful so I started out was feeling really good it was a beautiful day it was sun, like it was, it was the beginning of October it was sunny leaves on the ground I did my first 50k lap and like I was I was hoping to do like uh, under 11 hours well actually I was hoping to do 10 hours but after the first loop I knew that wasn't going to happen so I was going to go under 11 for the 100k and did my first lap felt amazing and you know, like um, ultra marathons is like notorious. One of the big problems for ultra runners is like not being able to eat. And I have had problems and I still struggle with that sometimes, but my stomach was just really on point. I was drinking and eating well. I was moving super well. I was super happy. I felt strong. Got into my second loop. Uh, I had a couple friends have feeds on the, like along the trail. And then I met one of the other uh, uh, mile to marathon coaches, one of my colleagues and she paced me for like from kilometer, I don't know what it was, like 75 to 90 or something like that. And then I was kind of coming, I was you know, on the home stretch. I was probably at kilometer 94 or 95. And then I just, I was cruising down this trail covering the leaves and I didn't see a ledge underneath a bunch of leaves. And I just stepped on it weird. And like I just fell and I was like, ow, that hurt like a lot. 
And I thought, ah, oh, I just probably sprained my ankle. I'll just get up and keep moving. And I tried to get up and keep moving and I like fell over again. I was like, oh, that's like, that's not good. That's a bad sprain. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so like, I'm like, I've got my poles because I was using poles. And, and so I was like kind of hob- hobbling along and did this for probably half a kilometer. And that half a kilometer took me well over, I was already well over 11 hours by the time I'd covered that like half kilometer. So I was like, okay, like something is definitely wrong here. I was kind of essentially hopping. My partner who was supporting me the whole way, she was like bringing me food and meeting me at various points. Like I, I was able to phone her. And so she got the people and they, they were going to come and pick me up. But then these, this couple on matching e-bikes came down the trail. Like it just sounds like a movie. And they're like, oh, are you okay? You don't look very good. Like, And they just gave me one of their bikes. And at this point, it was all downhill to the road. So I just got on one of their, these like non, it wasn't even a pedal e-bike. It was like a, a throttle e-bike. And I, and so I got on this e-bike and like, I kind of propped my foot up and just like bombed down the hill. Was your watch still running at this time? <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, you really ran that last kilometer at a good pace. No. <laughs> I think it's funny that you say that. I think I, there was kind of this like, you know, like everyone's like, oh, if, it, if it's on a strap, I didn't have. And I, I remember like there was a moment where I was like, am I going to press stop on this? And like, am I am I packing it in? And I did. I just I pressed stop at whatever 95 kilometer mark. So no, I don't think my watch was running. <laughs> Hi, it's Marianne. The Rideau Lake Cycle Tour is coming up June 8th and 9th. And if you're interested in getting outside for the ride from Ottawa to Kingston and back, Use the promo code OUTSIDE2024 to get $20 off any two-day ride at ottawabicycleclub.ca. That's promo code OUTSIDE2024. It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. Just remember, anyone can be a cash kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast. That's right. Find us at thecashkidpodcast.com or listen in on places like Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or YouTube. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson. At what point were you like, oh, no, I have to, I have to like stop. And did you feel super disappointed or were you like, no, no, I made it this far. Obviously it was worse than a sprain and we'll get to that in a second. But at what point did you give up and how were you feeling about it? Even in the moment it was like, well, this is kind of funny. Like I've just had like the best, like one of the best training blocks of my life. And I've had one of the best. I mean, if this were a race, I would have been like having a really good race. And then that happened and I just thought, well, I guess at least I got to run 95 kilometers. I mean, obviously I was disappointed. I was like, I'm probably not allowed to say the words on air, but there was a lot, there was some swearing, but Mm. I think I already, there's like a photo of me, like right when my partner picked me up and like, I'm like smiling. I thought it was, I thought it was funny. It was a beautiful day. I, I had like a great day outside all day. So yeah, I did end up breaking. I broke my, my ankle didn't have to actually get any, like it wasn't super displaced. So I didn't have to get pins or surgery or anything. And I kind of just like took the recovery day by day and didn't really ever 
feel all that hard done by. Everything else in my life was good at that point, and I found other things to do, and I found other ways to motivate myself to stay like as fit as you can when you are not able to use one of your limbs. And yeah. Perspective, you were coaching skiing. You were coaching me skiing like a couple months later. I think it was oh, by yeah, January. Yeah, yeah. By January, then that's, I think, I don't, I think that's how we, how we met, but, and we'll get to coaching in, in one moment, but like mm. you were, you were, you were coaching and you were on skis within like a few months. Yeah, I guess. Cause that was like, that would have been, it was Thanksgiving weekend. So by Christmas, I think I was skiing. Like as soon as they were like, oh, you can take the boot off. I was like, okay. <laughs> and put another boot on. You immediately took the boot off yeah. <laughs> and put your oh. ski boot, your cross country ski boot right on. I mean, I was, I was doing like, as soon as I was allowed to take it off at night, I was like doing a lot of mobility work and a lot of strengthening and flexibility and just like breaking up all the scar tissue and trying to get a bit of muscle back into my already very non-muscular calves. So <laughs> They're more jacked than ever. What is, what happened? Yeah, exactly. Like, if I turn sideways, you're like, are you just on one, standing on one leg? Like what's going on? <laughs> Once they said you can weight bear, I was like pretty ready to just like start doing something else. And and skiing is like the best. Well, I mean, but I guess biking would have been okay as well. But skiing is so good because it's weight bearing, but it's zero, zero impact. So I was able to look work on like all the sort of balance and proprioception just simply by like being on my skis. So yeah, that was, I mean, that was invaluable. And then I just ski. I, yeah, I skied and, and coached skiing and t- taught skiing all year or all winter rather. And then, yeah, I mean, like in retrospect, my, I think my season, my running season, the next running season was like affected by it, but like, it felt like I made a pretty decent comeback. I was able to run the whole season. Basically. I wasn't, I was very lucky that I had no complications uh, there. I remember you saying to me at one point and you were always positive. Like we talked pretty shortly after you broke it, but I remember you were always so positive about it. And you're like, I'll be fine. If anything, this is the best time of the year to break it. I remember you saying, I remember you saying this is the best yeah. time of year. It's a, sh- it's shoulder season. And there's no better time to, to break your ankle. And that's one of the reasons that I'm attracted to you as a, as a person and as a friend and as a coach is because your attitude is is exactly what I just described. <laughs> well, that's nice of you to say. Birds of a feather flock together, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I think looking at it any other way, I know it's, I'm not, I'm, I'm not like throwing people under the bus if they don't, if they get down on themselves, but like, look, no, at you it, should. No, let's throw them under the no. bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, I mean, it's, it's easy to get like, it's easy to get down on yourself. And I mean, I, best time of the year, also best year to do it, right? Like there are no events, like it's the pandemic. There are no events. I had no complications. I did it in October. I was already able to ski. Like I would have taken October off anyways, you know, or I would have taken November off anyways. So it it was an easy way. It was an easy, like the circumstances were, it was easy for me to look at it in a positive light. And I understand that I would probably have been less positive had I broken it in like June, just before my first race and then had like no season. And then, but you mentioned, I think like it, it is important to sort of like zoom out and, why well, like prepare for these things and zoom out because you know, everyone's going to have injuries. Like literally, you do this long enough, you're going to have an injury that's going to sideline you, or, or you're going to have many. And so, if you don't prepare for those, it'll probably be more difficult to deal with when it does happen. 
I think we met when I signed up for cross-country ski coaching. You were one of my first coaches. I think it was, that was a way. Otherwise, like the outdoor community here is is quite small. So you coach trail running with Mile to Marathon. You have your own company, Run Traverse. I know you've been coaching for a while, but at what point did you realize that you wanted to take your efforts and your energy and channel that into coaching? So I originally, the first time I ever taught skiing, the, the first inkling of coaching that I had was actually when I was in South America. I In like the far tip of South America, there's a there is snow as it turns out. Um, and so I realized that when I got there, I was like backpacking in my mid twenties. And I, and I realized that when I got there and I was like, Oh, like this is fun. And kind of the only way that I was going to be able to just like set up shop there and ski was and afford to buy a pair of skis was to like make some money. And so I, I taught skiing to like rich Brazilians and, uh, and Argentines, which was, which was really interesting. Anyway, so I had no background in teaching at all, but I, I did that for a while. And I was like, that was 2010, I think 2010. Yeah. And then I came back and thought, Oh, that was kind of fun. And so then sort of took some courses and certified myself for, and that was like, it's more like technique oriented stuff. And then that got me into doing some work with one of the local ski clubs where we were like getting kids on skis. So I worked a lot with kids and it was a program where like, it was kind of supposed to be an outreach program through, yeah, Nakratok is one of the local ski clubs. And so it was, it was an outreach program called Ski Fast. And we basically got, it was a real mix. We got some of the very privileged schools that you would expect. They already were in the programs and they already had skis and they had already done this. And they also played hockey and alpine ski. But then we also got like some, you know, inner city schools. I don't, that's maybe not the right term. Some schools that, you know, with, with a lot of people, uh, who were not born in Canada, who have not really all that familiar with snow, who don't have the resources to, to, to do this sort of thing. So that was also fun because like, yeah, just seeing people, yeah, sort of a door or a window being open for them, like, wow, this can actually be fun. I don't have to just freeze my ass off in the winter. <laughs> so, so we did that. And so that was like kind of how it progressed. And then, and then I started coaching a local ski club, like a master ski club. And then after I've only been running like seriously for about seven, I was doing the calculation the other day, like seven years, eight years. And so after like a few years of competing, I was sort of like, uh, I've made a lot of mistakes that I think probably other people could benefit from, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I had some of my own like uh, private clients and then sort of got going with mile to marathon as well. And obviously, you know, it, you, you're packed with coaching right now, but what does it fulfill for you when it comes to like, like emotionally, like how, like what keeps you coming back to coach people, whether it's newbies, whether it's people who are elite, why do you keep coming back? Like, and what's the theme among coaching for you that you come back every year and say, yeah, I want to do this again. There are kind of two sides. I mean, with the, with the skiing, I mostly teach skiing, like the technical aspects of skiing, which is like it's a technical thing, right? It's like, it's almost like hard skills. Like, how do you explain this to someone? How do you show it to them? How do you make them like replicate a certain movement? And that's just fun because it's a little bit like a puzzle because everyone learns differently. And so I find that like, it's even if I do it like five times a day throughout the winter, it is different every time. So that's like, that's fun and exciting. And then for the coaching side of things, I mean, the coaching is like, is different because it's, you know, you're building workouts for people you're building like their full training plan. You're like, and that, and that stuff, I'm not saying that it's easy, but the technical side of that is there's a lot of science behind it and it's not rocket science. You, you need to play with things and everyone is different, of course. But the part that I find interesting about that is watching people set goals and helping them set goals and, you know, goals that they think are achievable or that they don't think are achievable. And then just sort of kind of being a guardrail 
as, as they like find their way toward that goal. And like, I have athletes who just text me like a photo of them on the top of a, a mountain or out doing their run and like they're smiling or whatever. Like, I, I, I mean, it, I don't care. Like, I don't care if you go and win something and it, or, or whether you're just out to enjoy it. But I mean, I think that in the end, it's like these sports have brought so much joy to me. So if I can kind of like help other people also experience that joy and not have it become this like chore or this extra stress, which I think it can do sometimes. And it's like so counterintuitive and counterproductive. So if I can help other people do that, then that's great. So I think that's why. Do you have a daily routine or any must-haves when it comes to getting outside? You obviously built over years routines, but is there moments where you're like, I just want to go for a walk or if you get busy or whatever that looks like, do you have must-haves that make you feel better when you're connecting to nature? I think you feel like, (laughs) if someone made like a documentary about my life, they'd be like, wow, that's really chaotic. Like I don't, I I don't always, (laughs) there are always these repeatable patterns, you know, like sometimes I go out for my run early in the morning. Other times like I get home after a long day and it's like 9.30 p.m. I'm like, yeah, I still want to run. And I go out and there's not a formula. I mean, it's nice to kind of get into a flow and, and I do sometimes. But just because I, the nature of like I work at like a, a local bike and ski shop, I coach athletes, like <laughs> I run programs, like I, sorry, I run like group runs and I teach skiing. My schedule is so messed up and so changing all the time that it's like hard to pin down. I and mean, that doesn't really answer your question, but I don't know. I'm calling the title of this podcast Pure Chaos with Liam Walk. Yeah, Pure Chaos with Liam Walk. No, so I think I try to get outside every day. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. I try to get outside. Even if, like, if I've got, because, like, I also have a coach. And even if I've got just, like, strength on the program for the day, I mean, I try to get outside. And whether that means, like, going for a walk or whether it's, like, just, I usually commute on my bike all year round as well. So whether that's just, sometimes I don't do anything else and I just, like, bike to work. And I'd like that. And that's at least that's like getting a bit of like literally a breath of fresh air. Is there any advice that you can give people who are want to try a new sport or they want to maybe make the outdoors more part of their regular routine? So as a coach and as an athlete, you have all of this experience. Is there anything like simple that you can recommend to people to at least like get out there and try and maybe try to build some kind of routine? Yeah, I mean, like I think you have to you have to find the you have to find the joy in what you're doing. So whatever that means, whether it means like finding the, the right place to do it or whether it's finding like a routine, like every morning I'm going to go out and walk for a half an hour, like whether that's something that like you have to, you have to find what it is that makes you want to do it again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that's different for every person. I mean, some people it's really like a, it's a mental or emotional release. It's a stress reliever. And for other people, it's like a performance thing. And it might be a combination of all those things. So I guess that's not really answering your question, but I think someone else is not going to do it for you. You have to want to do it yourself. And so you have to find what is joyful about it. And so an example, I guess, is like some people find it difficult to just train by themselves. Like I'm talking about sport, like, but some people find it difficult to just go out and do things by themselves. You know, they find it difficult. Like they don't want to just go for a hike by themselves. They don't want to just go for a bike ride by themselves, but maybe they do enjoy it in a group. So like find a group. Go out and find a club, a group of people. Maybe you don't have friends who do that. So maybe like there are all sorts of like free groups that do these sorts of things or paying groups as well. So I think that's the guy, I guess that would be like the most, the thing that comes to mind for me is that I know that there are some people who can't get motivated to go, even though they know they enjoy being outside, they can't get motivated to get out the door. 
But if there's like a group of people waiting for them, if there's, if there's something that's like holds them accountable, they will do it. Mm. So yeah, find that group. I always used to be the the person, I think you know this, that I was very self-motivated through the most through most of the p- pandemic. And even before that, I found like self-motivation was no problem. But the past like six months to a year, you know, life kind of throws curveballs at you. Started a business in August and my passions are, and my energy is focused more on my business. So I'm finding that the only way for me to get outside right now is to show up and make an appointment with someone else yeah. or with a group. And that's just a phase that I'm in right now. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because your motivations change and and things come up and priorities change and um, hopefully you find what your motivation is and that can change too. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And I mean, yeah, you've been through, like you've been, you've had some amazing, cool, I mean, changes that started as not so cool and then (laughs) turned into some really great projects. So that's awesome. And then, yeah, of course you're going to be focused on that. Like that's like, I mean, owning your own business is just so... It's so time consuming, <laughs> um, even if you love every moment of it. So it's cool. yeah. It, yeah, it's great that you can find you know whether it's like a, yeah an outlet by making an appointment. That's good. <laughs> Plans for next races, or do you have any like dream races coming up? Um, as you know, hopefully as COVID goes or the pandemic hopefully eases away, I guess we're going to find out. But do you have any plans for races this year? Because we're in ski season right now. But uh, what does it look like for you? Yeah, I do have uh, some races. It's boring for me to tell you all the things I'm going to be doing, but the thing I think I am going back to Europe, um, and I'm doing a race that scares the shit out of me. Oh, tell me everything! Yeah. Oh my gosh, what is it? Uh, so, so I'm going to be racing in Switzerland first at at Matterhorn All Tracks, which is like a pretty iconic, like uh, it's a, it's like on the Matterhorn. But that will sort of be like a like a C priority race type of thing. Like I'm going to kind of train through it because it's pretty close to the big event, which is. Um, and it will be like a good test, but the race is in Spain. It's called, it's in the Pyrenees. It's called uh, Canfranc, Canfranc, and it's a hundred K, but it's got nine, almost 9,000 meters of positive elevation. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, like okay. Marianne, I have to tell you, like, I just, the I'm going to Google something while, while we, while we, ch- okay, so go ahead. It's just like, you know, talking about that, like, what is it that motivates you? I think you sometimes have to go out and seek that. And like, I, I guess I sort of went through the paces this year and I really did. Don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed like some of the community aspects of, of racing this year. Like I really, I met a lot of people. It was so great to get back to racing. There were lots of friends and community members and like mile to marathoners and, and just like other members of the Quebec community that I met that was really great. And so that, that side was great, but I, I I can't say that there, there was an event that really inspired me. So to, to come back to racing with something that is actually that's like really inspiring and also really pretty scary. Uh, like the kind of scares the shit out of me. It's been a while since I've done that. And that's exciting. And I think you need to, I know that some people like, again, like zero judgment. Some people like to go back to the same race all the time. And there are lots of reasons to want to do that. You know, whether it's being able to measure your own performance or whether it's the community or whatever, lots of great reasons for that. But I think for me, part of what I like about running and like travel on foot and being outdoors is like also discovering new places and new environments and like trying to find the best way to move through them. So that's going to be, Spain is going to be pretty crazy. (laughs) I'm going to wrap up this interview by by pointing out that you said 9,000 meters of elevation gain. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah, It's like over, it's 8,800 or I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's almost for the comparison, Mount Everest is 8,800, I think. It's, just, it's over 8,800 yeah. meters. So it would be the equivalent of you I mean, climbing Everest. 
I mean, yes. Without the without without the like lack of big, yeah. Without the complete lack of oxygen, (laughs) but but just for comparison, if yeah, if we're gonna if we're gonna compare, yeah, if if we were gonna compare, yeah, exactly. It is a lot of a lot of elevation. It's it's many many meters. (laughs) Many meters. Liam, I uh, appreciate you joining me on Let's Take This Outside, and thanks for sharing your story. Oh, thanks so much for having me, and what a great project and podcast you've got going here. I can't wait to hear what, what other people you have on the show. I'll be following along. Thanks for listening. For more Let's Take This Outside, go to letstakethisoutside.ca. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Produced and distributed by The Sound Off Media Company.